Right on, man. Right on. Thanks for doing this. I'm, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm really excited because I, I don't actually talk a lot of gear on the Eat Wild podcast. I, I kind of, okay. I mean, people do a really good job of that. I, I kind of focus on uh, more adventure planning and a lot of ethics around hunting and stuff that you know, and uh, hunter education stuff. And and I figure the 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 podcast world does a great job of talking gear, but I, I mean, I love gear, right? So so I. I'm excited to chat with you, and, I, and there's lots of things I want to cover off with you. But, uh, that, that's awesome. I'm going to um, partially close this door. Um, um, full disclosure, we tried this before. I absolutely felt like um, death had come over me or whatever from, from the second COVID vaccine. I feel a lot better today. Today I've been pulled in every direction, right? I've been kind of like Gumby and some sort of insane thing. It's been good. It's been positive. I'm proud of our team, um, but I'm also drinking while we're talking. So if I get a little, if I start sounding like Charles Barkley during the final four at halftime of games where, you know, he'd start off talking all right pregame, but then halftime, it seemed like, well, you know, the, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, has Charles been drinking, you know? Oh man. We, we had a series of podcasts that I, I was, we had, uh, we did a bison hunt. Uh, uh, my, my Jenny and I and a couple couple of friends and and so we uh, so that's one thing we've done with the podcast is bring bring the recording set out on these adventure hunts right and then mm-hmm. kind of capture the story as you go and, and it's been fun and and all the things we learn every day so but man like you know bison hunting those are long like long nights right so short days of hunting long nights so like some of the podcasts got pretty sloppy along the way but so yeah so I mean there's there's yeah I I was questioning whether I was allowed to put it out there because i was like oh man like my i'm slurring my words but i did just kill a bison today i <laughs> i think i can get away with a little bit oh, of celebration oh, and awesome. <laughs> okay i'm so excited so what i'm so last year we did uh, a, a podcast series leading up to a big adventure hunt and so we we're officially kicking off our adventure hunt planning series for this year and, and part of that process is like you, you, you know there's so much planning involved whether it's talking to wildlife biologists to figure out logistical uh, stuff like pack crafting. How do you pack craft? That was the big adventure last year. And of course there's a gear component. Like how do you, you know, what, you know, what type of gear do you need for the trip and then ramping up for gear. So, so this year uh, we've got a, we've got another sort of pack craft adventure trek kind of concept hunt, which I'll, I'll give you the full details on that in a second. And, and we want to just do a series of podcasts with the people who can help us uh, inform us, help, help, you know, support this plan that we have in mind. So I, I'm talking to you cause I'm excited about gear and you make light gear and you make some gear that's specific for, that'll be really good for pack crafting, which I'll tell you, I, I'd like to know in it, but first of all, um, why don't you introduce yourself and a little bit of the seek outside origin story and just give it, give us a foundation of where to start from. Uh, I'm Kevin Tim. I'm co-founder, owner, president of Seek Outside. We've been, this is our 11th year. I used to have this kind of boring origin story of how I was snowshoeing and I conceptualized this teepee for hunting, right? Um, While I was snowshoeing and went home and told my wife and she said, that's a crazy idiotic idea and you know and then through persistence i got her to kind of break down and we tried to make one it was really ugly and she told me it was a crazy stupid idea i said well you know don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. i 
I calculated something wrong. Let's let's try again. The next one we did was pretty cool, and within a couple months we were actually using them. Right. Yeah. Um, there's another version of this story that I realized about a week ago. Um, my brother was up here visiting, um, and in the summer, my brother and I, we grew up. I grew up with my grandma, and he lived with my parents. Um, and I lived out very rural and we would get to see each other for a couple weeks every year. So instead of disliking each other, like most brothers probably do, um, mm -hmm. we actually kind of liked each other because we didn't see each other very much, right? The competition for toys or whatever was wasn't there, <laughs> right? Yeah. And in this rural property that he would come to, um, there was woods behind my house and fields and stuff. And I had this network of forts that I built and maintained, basically. I don't know really why. There were tree houses. There were ground-based forts. There were more tree houses. I don't know why I was so building these. And I set up a prototype tent while he was here. And we were chatting about how we always used to build forts as kids. And I realized that I'm really just kind of still building forts um at this point you know they're just mobile forts for out in the woods uh, at some level you know um yeah. it's not a whole lot different um so it was kind of odd when that that struck me so anyway i could go on about all this boring struggle of how hard it was to start a business which it was there were times when i doubted what we were doing um and I did recently did a podcast with Outdoorpreneur, which is really kind of based on outdoor startups. Yeah. And I think there is really, I think you almost have to have a really thick skin um, to do something like this. And you have to be able to take criticism and work through it because my family wasn't supportive of this. Frankly, I had a good job. I had a job that paid me six figures. I what were you doing before? I was actually a computer security researcher. Okay. For, for a big tech company and I worked from home and the little mountains and I worked my hours and I went out and trail ran and hiked and hunted and stuff in my spare time as much as I could spent time with my family and all that. Um, so I had a good job. Um, but it, I also wasn't fulfilled. It wasn't something that there was a time when computer security, um, like circa right around 2000 was pretty cool. It was like wild, wild west. It was this wild landscape. There were hackers. They were coming from Russia. They were coming from here. They were bouncing through. They were attacking this. There wasn't legal definitions, forensics, all this stuff. It was all new. It was all really super interesting. Yeah. Right? Um, over the years, it got kind of old and boring. Uh, it got into, well, sign off on this process and are you running the XYZ standard protocol? And okay, well, that's about what you can do. And, you know, yeah, you can't get someone out of Russia. They're bouncing through those servers over there and there's this whole hacker network and um, all you can do is do whatever. And it wasn't as much fun. I mean, it was fun defending like the code red and slammer worms that were running across the internet, <laughs> even if they woke you up at two in the morning and they took 36 hours straight of you being awake, there was a part of it that made you feel like alive and in the moment. Sure. Sure. But you probably didn't get like an invitation to be on a podcast every two days from people just excited to talk to you about what you're up to now. 
Right, exactly. You know, well, what are you up to now? Well, yawn. I did a security assessment. <laughs> you know, um, you break doing, that down for me. What's the origin yeah, story? <laughs> doing a li- doing a little bit of offshore gambling, resiliency <laughs> to a network. You know what happened? They lost like a million dollars during the Super Bowl because they were extorted from a hacker network. You well, know, there's probably some stories there for sure, but <laughs> yeah. Right on. So okay, so you so you moved into and and when did Seek kind of go from being like a, an idea of you wander around in the woods thinking about on your snowshoes thinking about a teepee tent to actually proving to be a business that you know from all accounts I can tell you guys can't keep up with the demand for the ideas and what you're producing now. It took about a year and a half for us to say start to sell things, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And even then, our first sale was ridiculous. It was to a Rocky, uh, a Royal Canadian police officer. Okay. Who lived in the Northwest Territories and was very passionate about hunting. And our first tent that was sold was sold to a dude who flew across the Mackenzie River for a spring muskox hunt. Hey. Right now, well, that'd be good feedback on the product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, wow. Um, yeah, it wasn't someone down the road that we could help work through any issues, and who was taking it on some little trip. So if there was something that wasn't right with it, it could be worked out. No, it was like full on exposure, right? Um, but he was actually super stoked with the tent, um, and but we didn't really probably for. So that was kind of the genesis, but it probably was four years before I broke away from my job. Um, early on, I did my job and I did the design and I did the support and Angie did the production and figuring out how to get it made. And we, we did that because we didn't want to have to sacrifice customer service in the name of bottom line. Mm-hmm. So my job paid the bills and we could build the foundation for a strong brand. And we have a little saying that Nathan who works for us came up with a few days ago and it's do, it is something like do what is right, even if it hurts, you know? Um, and we've really kind of been following that since early on, you know, I mean, if we screw up, we own it, you know, um, there's been times we screwed up shipping and Angie drove a tent to Montana overnight. So someone could get something for their hunt and Mm -hmm. not ruin their trip. So we've really tried to focus on the support and that you're a part of our family and also refine continually refine our designs look hard at what we do and really be our own worst critics like an example would be we've been known to have these second sales um we usually have them twice a year um most people that buy our seconds tents can't find the flaw right Mm -hmm. and they'll go online saying they can't find the flaw and they've almost become ridiculous. We don't even offer them much of a discount. It's like 15%. They mm-hmm. carry factory warranty. And this last one was pretty much sold out in 15 minutes from when the sale started. And it was almost 60 grand worth of seconds gear. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's no. awesome. 
Yeah. I, I mean, so our doing the right thing and our being very critical of ourselves carries into that, like our seconds quality stuff is top tier as well, even despite the modest discount. Um, and it, um, you know, has been kind of a part of our brand to oh, we just lost you. do the right thing, you know. Um, Something just happened there. And isn't I'll see if you come back here. Um, and we've become, fortunately, we've become financially quite, knock on wood, solid and stable. And so we have a, a little bit of ability to make sure that we continue to do the right thing for the brand, for the customer. Cool. And are you working all the time still, or are you getting to be able to get out and have your adventures? Well, <clears throat> quite frankly, I thought I thought two years ago I had this solved and that most of what would happen is the staff would rarely see me except around design time. Yeah, I thought that I had had um, this whole business thing stabilized and that there was enough process and people in place. And then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. and COVID shot our business to another level. Um, mm -hmm. And it did for a lot of outdoor businesses because it was all of a sudden going outdoors was cool for everybody. Mm -hmm. So that did, um, it required my involvement much more to be present. Um, it required leadership um as well and i mean it was tough i mean what do we do we didn't it was totally undefined we we didn't have any predictability with COVID, right mm -hmm. um this year there's been times that i've been not very involved and then there's been times that i've been highly involved um the last two months i've been highly involved uh, I'm trying to get to a point to where my staff doesn't know me very well again here pretty soon. Um, and hopefully that will come, but we have a lot of really exciting things going on and our growth has been quite big this year as well. Um, we're bringing on another 10,000 square foot shop wow. facility, um, because we were getting just too cramped. Um, and I mean, the COVID thing is still kind of uncharted territory and I'm happy to kind of go along for the ride and make hay while the sun shines. Um, because frankly, um, I believe there's another level to what we can do. Mm -hmm. And I believe we have some really good ideas that we haven't even been exploring. And so we're kind of putting the stuff in place to do that and maybe even partnering with some other companies that we've, we know we have a small footprint in, but they're big yeah. players and other verticals. And listen to me, I'm starting to sound like a businessman <laughs> and, and, and like a president or CEO. And that isn't how I want to sound. I just um, want to talk about hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just want to talk about hunting, right? No, but I'm yeah. so interested in a couple of things you've said so far. So one, so in my, uh, so, so Eat Wild is a, is a, is a side hustle for me. So I, I, I love hearing your story about kind of going, transitioning from your, 
you know, your secure day-to-day job that everybody thinks is a great job. What are you doing? And then I, I and I, I still have that in my life. I, I manage provincial parks just for a living, which is I've been a park ranger since I was a kid. It's an awesome gig. And now I'm in a management position and I, it's an awesome employer, but also I get to work in BC's provincial parks, which is just awesome. Right. So off, off the, off the charts, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, totally. But the unique thing about this year was that like, I mean, COVID has been insane for demand to come to parks. Like, it, yep. like I can't, even, I, I, I don't even have to look at the numbers. I mean, I, I, it's like two to three times attendance levels across the board. So I'm curious, like, you know, from a, from a, from a manufacturer's point of view of, of gear, like w- what was that jump from pre COVID to post COVID in, in an estimate in generalities, like, like what percentage of business? Well, the COVID shutdown happened in the States, right? Yeah. Um, some people were very freaked out. Um, Angie was very freaked out. Um, and I also want to go back and touch on something, my very secure job. I probably would have been booted out at about 50 anyway. Uh, <laughs> I knew that you didn't get old in that gig. Yeah. You know, you got old moving to management. Management wasn't my style. Now look, I'm managing my company. Here you go. Uh, <laughs> like a manager to me. Talk vertical integration and shit. I don't know what that yeah, is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but my real desire is to just geek out on product and continue to tweak and push to different levels. And what I really want to do um, is to reset the standard of like what a hunting tent is reset the standard for a capable lightweight backcountry backpacking tent, reset the standard for what a pack is capable of at a certain weight and certain performance characteristics. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's just kind of my tweaky sort of mad scientist mind that wants to just keep playing with various formulas until you're like, aha, this is it, you know? Um, So like I do think, we have another level of souping up, not so much intense because I think like the Dyneema Cimarron really reset that standard um, in the hunting market. Um, we I, should, before we get to, like, I want to ask you about what you're, where you're going, but we should just give our listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with, I mean, I'm familiar because I've been running some of your gear here for a few years and um, we did a podcast series on being on stuck on top of a mountain uh, in the Cassiars, uh, a three-part series where we got stuck in a storm, and uh, and we were we survived the storm because we had the eight-man uh, seek outside TP tent, and mm-hmm. and we just happened to be, you know have packed this as a actually the only reason why we brought this because we were hunting in August, like we were hunting in August when like you know it was, it, it's it's pup tent time, right? Like you don't really think about you know, having a stove say, and, and, and those types of things on, on a, on a caribou sheep trip in the middle of summer. But we brought this bigger tent, this eight person tent, because there was four of us and we bought a cameraman, uh, with our podcast gear and his red camera, which is worth God knows how many thousands of dollars and a big battery pack. So we just needed the shelter for the gear basically. And we knew that we have a laptop and dumping data. Like anyway, it was more of a production tent really for what we were trying to accomplish as far as telling some, doing some storytelling with the video cameras. Um, but in the end we ended up pinned down waiting out this hurricane forced wind storm and four feet of snow over what amounted to seven days of being 10 pound in, in one of your 
teepee tents and with sort of finding little bits of firewood to keep the stove going just to keep us toasty and comfortable. You know, that I remember that. And I remember you guys having the tent inside the eight man. And I have been on a caribou hunt in August where at one, one day it was like fine. And then the next day everyone is like, get that stove fired. Well, it was great. We had a couple of great shots of like the, like the podcast gear. Actually, we had this one great shot. That, so one of the things that when we were like super pinned down, we ended up like, we just have nothing to do. You can we'd have, we'd have a kind of a regimented system where like, it was like being in jail. Like you have to get up and go get your mandated exercise for one hour. We'd literally walk around in circles out in the, so just get exercise just to like do something. Cause it'd been days on end. But the other part of our day was, uh, we we get we'd watch a couple of episodes of like uh of a of a documentary series on the, on the laptop and we sort of like create a couch at one side of the seat and we all pile in there with our in, in our sleeping bags and pillows and bags and stuff and then we'd huddle up and then we'd watch uh it was actually the OJ Simpson trial the the there was that OJ Simpson documentary i think it was a oh really yeah a ESPN documentary super fascinating like follows that you know the tragedy from his college basketball or college football days right to obviously this the, the second court cases and stuff anyways but it was just sort of an odd just like hanging out in a tent in a snowstorm watching documentaries and huddled up it was pretty comfortable we were happy and meanwhile like we we'd been spotting like from where we were on top of the mountain you could see guys you know miles away in their little pup tent climbing up into the wilderness then the next day getting side swiped by the storm and we're sitting in our tent watching documentaries, having a nice fire and finishing off our booze. But meanwhile, there's hunters all over that country just caught <laughs> out in this shit, <laughs> like on the edge of dying. So yeah, it was comfy for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so that's one question I have for you. Like, like, so just to give you like a, the, the, the big, the, the one big product was the TP tent. That was the first thing. And, mm-hmm. and then, the 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 thing that kind of turned me on to you when I did my research for for figuring out like I, I'm a wall tent guy from I do a lot of late season hunting and when I heard of a tent that's like a that you could a lightweight packable tent that you can then you can put a wood stove in it I was like this is interesting because my my wall tent it it takes up half of my garage it's and, and like I can barely lift it in the back of my truck and I mean obviously it's it's a, it's a significant thing but to have that same comfort level um, in a backpack is, 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 was revolutionary when I first read about it. And that's, that's how I found you guys originally. I wouldn't say it's the same comfort level, but it's a high level of comfort compared to the alternatives. Um, I mean, a wall tent, a cot, a big, big honking 50-pound stove, that's pretty comfy setup. But that setup also comes with a lot of maintenance and work throughout the year to maintain that setup Um, where the teepee doesn't have a whole lot of maintenance throughout the year. You throw it in your pack, um, you take it up, um, you're not married to it. You don't have pack animals whose purpose is supporting your ability to carry that teepee around. Um, And you get a high level of comfort in comparison to the alternatives. A couple of years ago, I was hunting in this one area and it had been unseasonably cold. It was late October and that year it had been close to zero a few times. Um, And getting around close to zero at night and the area I had pitched my tent and I had a Dyneema Cimarron and a U-turn stove. So I had 
I had the top level ultralight packable system, like four pounds totally mm -hmm. all in. And it's like a heated little portable cabin for four pounds. Mm -hmm. These guys had their MSR tents or whatever, and they had booze, um, which was good because I didn't have any booze or I had a small amount of booze. <laughs> um, but I literally was setting it up and they came, they came back and they were like, wow, we were just talking about wanting something like this. And so I invited them in and I gladly sipped some of their booze and let them stoke the fire a little bit. Um, and like literally a week, week after the hunt, they bought like their own teepee and stove. Um, it was like, I didn't even try to sell it to them. I just let them hang out inside, you know, and that was basically it, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's fantastic. So one of my questions on my list of things that I wanted to ask you about, and I, so I did a little bit of, uh, you know, exploring on, uh, back in the day, my, my hunting partner, uh, he's a, he's a kind of an engineer's guy. He's a commercial fisherman with an engineer's mind and, and kind of builds, builds aluminum boats and builds things whenever he comes oh. up with an idea. So, so he took on the idea of building a wall tent out of, out of tarp like a tarp material to create a, a lightweight, uh, you know, two person tent where you could put a stove in and, uh, and then throw it in our, our, we have this little tiny jet boat. That's like a two person backpacker jet boat. So if you had an ultra light wall tent, then you could have maybe a river camp. Right. But at the time we, you know, that's was a concept was like a waterproof kind of idea. And, and actually it was a pretty slick little thing with the, the only challenges was it, it was made of, plastic so the wood stove mm -hmm. was you had to manage the wood stove and the second piece was of course the condensation working its way down the walls on the inside which was had to be managed so um, my first question is so that the material that you know this is it it's it's is the material flammable and how do we manage around sort of the fire inside of a tent concept which has always been a no-no in my park ranger world like don't have your st stove don't cook inside your tent it's always been a no-no, and now I've got a, I've got a, that little, a little wood stove inside of it, burning red hot, and uh, and loving it. But <laughs> walk me through that. The long story short is that it depends. We have some different materials that we use in different places, right? Mm -hmm. Um none of it will propagate a spark or a flame for very long. It will peter out. Okay. But if you're really intent on setting it on fire, you can, I mean, okay. determination gets you a long ways, right? <laughs> I, I, it does. I, and to make it more resistant to the flames, it weakens the fabric by a tremendous amount which makes it less durable when you start having the storms like you were in and yeah. more prone to ripping, tearing, and then having a catastrophic failure. I mean, a lot of those smaller tents, like what you had pitched inside, um, exposed in a storm like that, their fabric is going to start tearing and ripping. And I don't say that because I am trying to make people paranoid at all. 
I say that because I buy these things and set them up right next to it and we'll set them up for six months of comparison testing and every sort of, I live in a high altitude environment where we can have 80 mile an hour winds and we can have 30 inches of snow dump. Um, and if I'm patient enough, I will see both of those events and see how things react to it. Now I know some people are like, well, you don't go out and test in the mountains or whatever. And we do. Right. Um, but we can't control real weather, right? We have some things that can approximate certain loads and we've known, we know how to say shortcut certain tests. Right. Um, I mean, I can take a commercial leaf blower and put a hundred mile an hour wind in a very narrow spot. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of lets me know like, Oh, this, this place, this is pretty strong or this is pretty weak here. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't mimic exactly a hundred mile an hour storm where winds are all over the place and all those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does allow me to put it in certain places. So over the years, we've gotten much better at shortcutting some of the tests and making assumption between uh, an example would be like, I've seen this tent in 80 mile an hour winds. This has the same cuts, a smaller profile and a stronger pole. It's going to handle it at least as well. Yeah, yeah. As this one. Right. So, so we've gotten some shortcuts just from our accumulated knowledge and there I go. Sounded like a darn freaking businessman. Um, <laughs> I, so. I, I, yeah, I like that. And, and uh, yeah, they're going back to our, our experience there. The, the reason why we ended up putting those, t- uh, the tent inside the tent idea is, well, for one, we were, I mean, in, in retrospect, like where we we were pretty conscious of where we set up our camp, thinking about prevailing winds and trying to capture whatever, whatever we, we were right at Alpine. So there wasn't any standing trees to sort of tuck into mm-hmm. or anything. We were, you know, we were exposed and we thought we had like looking at the prevailing valleys. Like we're like, we thought we were in a good spot. And then where the storm ended up coming was like, came down the mountain at us. Like didn't come down up, up one or the other valleys that you would have been obvious it kind of it kind of came over this hanging valley above us and just like poured down on us with this like crazy wind it was kind unexpected. of a kind of a chinook style wind that comes down from up above um but i i i know what you mean on that like i live in this kind of narrow box canyon and it does a really good job of blocking our prevailing wind out of the west mm-hmm. But when we get giant winds, it's because it just swirls in here, right? Um, because literally there's probably 2,500 feet of elevation about four or 500 yards to the west of me. And then probably about 900 yards to the east of me, there's another 2,500 foot to 3,000 feet of elevation. Okay. So yeah, lots of systems can develop there. Well, I mean, that's kind of what we were in. There was just, you know, (laughs) very big, big weather passing through big country. I mean, this is Northwest corner of BC. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, right at the corner of Yukon, Alaska and BC, right? Where we were hanging out. So it's also why, it's also why we'll get a 30 inch dumping. You know, we had two, almost three dumpings that approached 30 inches this year, um, which, which are abnormal. Usually we get maybe one a year and most years our big snow is around 20 inches. Uh, yeah. But 
it gets caught in here if it comes from a certain direction because it literally in five miles it literally rises up about six thousand feet vertical and when things come from this direction we'll just get unleashed upon perfect yeah perfect testing zone right just in your backyard it is a great testing zone it really is um so i mean when people you know if people you know because people are always trying to find a flaw in your thing you know uh seek outside doesn't know what they're doing they're not extreme enough they're too nice whatever right no they're nice for a reason you know there's there's people are always trying to find a flaw um well this is interesting so so let me go let me just go on this one because this is one of the reasons i was excited to talk to you because and i got caught out on my own on my own bullshit a little bit because i was i was talking to well maybe it was chris prim we have a mutual friend chris prim is a local guy here and uh, he's a buddy of mine and we work in the bha together and and he comes and helps me out with the eat wild uh, mentorship workshops as well um but uh so i was going okay like I, I, we're doing another sheep trip this year and we're going to be doing the August 1st sheep trip. We're going to be in the Alpine. And like, I would typically run a, an MSR tent. I've, I've, I've had the uh, Hubba Hubba series, which are light, durable. I've been ridden at lots of storms in them for two people. I, I kind of love them. Uh, and, and I was, uh, but I'm interested in, in the advantages of the seek outside uh, lighter weight, tents and, and i was saying to chris i was like i just don't know if i could trust the single wall tent in the alpine in, in you know to winds and stuff like that he's like well didn't you just do a three-part podcast on how a seek outside wall tent saved your life i'm like oh yeah i guess i did but still i just couldn't can't quite get my head around a couple of factors and i kind of want and those are some of my questions there's 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 some barriers for me so taking first, that step so first off um First off, love Chris. Um, we did a podcast with him. He's a funny guy. He has some yeah. funny stories. <laughs> I hope you weren't his bear burrito. That gut was, it's got no, me. Yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> oh. I, I mean, that person probably needs to take Xanax every time they sleep in the backcountry from now on or, no. or something similar, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they are forever damaged. Um, yeah. But, um, to say that we are a single wall isn't necessarily true. We have some things that are very much double wall options. Um, your your thing of really liking the hubba, um, I'm going to throw some shade to MSR. I think that is one of the better tents out there in a lot of ways. I think there is really only one manufacturer um, that is well regarded in the backpacking industry that gets above it in performance. And so now that I've said my compliments, I'm also going to say that I have compared our Eolus and Silex to what I think are the top level tents, which you can attach an inner to them and be lighter than either of the top tents i have been in them i have videoed them i have videoed them against the competition i'm not mentioning any names but if you go and pick the couple most stormworthy tents you think there are you're probably on the right track um but um 
I do think that I think that Ariolus is based on the name of a peak in the Wemenuch named Aeolus, which is also based on a Greek god of wind called Aeolus, which is spelt with an A. Um, It flat out performs. I've rode in in 50 mile an hour winds in it with an inner. So absolutely equal. There is a floor. There's sides. There's a second wall because the Olus can have a full two-person inner, right? And it's generous, generously sized. Mm-hmm. Um, Six-foot-plus individuals can generally sleep in there more comfortably than they would in most other tents. And I have compared it to the other top tents, and I am fully confident. And if I showed people videos from inside, or outside during these storms, I think they would be entirely 100% confident in its capability to at least handle 50 mile an hour winds um, without much of an issue. Hmm. That's encouraging. I, I, I do love the amount of space that you get inside of a TP tent, like a single pull tent. There's it's, and that's fun. And then the, the barrier for me has been, you know, when I say single wall, maybe I, 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 I have to add that there's, I, I saw, I was just doing some research and, and I, and you have sort of what you call the nests, which is mm-hmm. creates that sort of second wall or the bug barrier. Yeah. Like in, in the Olus, the Olus, depending on the fabric is anywhere from about 16 to 20 ish ounces, right? Significantly lighter. Um, you add the nest, you add stakes in, in our lightweight fabric that is the least expensive, and heaviest you're still really having to work to get to three pounds okay and in most of these other tents you really have to work to get them down to three pounds or it may not actually be possible to get them down to three pounds um in in that regard so back to the msr hubba um fantastic design design it's been knocked off by every major player yeah um there's definitely no harm in that. Um, but it also, to a certain level, when I think these people get into knocking off these other brands, they also have a tendency to cheapen the value that the other brand brought to market. So in the thing of the hubba i am not ragging the hubba so msr people you guys i'm throwing shade totally all your way right (laughs) um you guys have been knocked off a lot and it is kind of cheapened the hubba into it's common everyone has a everyone has a hubba style tent practically you can go on alibaba and see hubba ish stuff all over the place yeah um because of it so um that's kind of my two cents in that regard. Um, but have I you think, been? Have Have you been? Have you seen people coming out with Sikh style stuff and and trying to match your quality and and uh, trying to engineer it to be similar to what you're doing? Oh, I have seen it. What they don't do is match our quality. And in fact, it was funny that um, there is a Canadian company called Light Outdoors, and okay. they ha- they have a tent that is. Um, 
designed kind of as a competitor to our Cimarron or Foreman. Yeah. Um, I was in New Mexico and I was at this cosmic campground, COVID. They're not charging anything for campgrounds. It was winter. Campground wasn't full. I parked there. I said, what the heck? Why don't I watch the stars tonight? Um, there's no light pollution here. And this lady was having a hard time setting up this teepee style tent. And so I went over to her. I know a thing or two about setting up a teepee tent. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, hey, um, I'm not meaning to sound conceited at all, but I'm kind of an expert in setting up <laughs> these kind of tents. And she was all like, really? And I was like, yeah, I mean, just, just trust me. I'm kind of an expert. And she's like, well, I borrowed this tent from a friend of mine. I was like, it's no worries. I'll help you get it set up. And I was like, oh, this is a light outdoors. They're a competitor of ours. I was like, how interesting. Um, and so I set up her tent for her and got it set up. But I was like, okay, I can obviously see the differences in the quality. Um, you know, they make it easy to get into. We do require a little bit more of a learning curve. But mm -hmm. part of that learning curve also gives you a much higher level of performance. And it has to do with basically the functional capabilities of certain types of fabric coatings. Mm -hmm. So our coating does mean you need to seam seal it or you need to have someone seam seal it mm -hmm. um, versus tape it. Um, we have a seam taper. We have like a $30,000 seam taper. Um, we just can't leverage it on that fabric. Um, but mm. we can use, we can leverage it for other experiments, which is kind of cool. Um, like it can do seam welding and all sorts of high end stuff if we want to do it. Um, but it's just one of those things that, and then frankly, um, I know at least in certain tents, um, one of our employees said they bought a tent and the seam tape peeled off on the second use. Um, so with the seam sealing, if you're really a passionate outdoors person, it's probably best to just get a hang of how to do it. And it's like changing the oil in your car or something. It's just kind of a regular maintenance that keeps everything up and running really well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I had a couple, so I, I, so you've already asked one of my questions. So I, I'm excited about my trip, right? And what I'm thinking about, right? And the, the first big question is, and you kind of, we've kind of hit on this, like, do I take the hubba hubba or do I go with something from your line that is lightweight, packable, sheep, summer tent? For one person? Uh, I would... Two of us. Yeah, it'd be two of us tenting and. Take the Eolus if you can. Uh, if you can get an Eolus, doesn't matter the fabric. Yeah. The Eolus will flat out perform. It's a fairly comfy tent um, for hunting in the high country. It is not freestanding, so you do require good staking. But yeah. as long as you know like how to do dead man's or things like that, um, you will be fine. But the thing will absolutely perform. Um, so I would I would give that high high marks. Hi, marks okay and then there's and and then and it, we're going in august so it's, we're going to bug country so we have to get it some type of a go with the inner it, you can put the inner in it you can connect it once then you can pitch the whole thing at once and it pitches in like a minute it mm -hmm. pitches super fast i did uh i had my wife drop me off at the mexico border 
yeah. um, year before last, and I used Deolus with an inner, and I hiked up uh, 100 miles or so before I hopped in my car and drove back. Uh, but I had the inner in it the whole time. Um, I also had my bird dog, which you've seen kind of move in yeah, and out. Yeah, moving and coming and go, yeah. Yeah, in my office. And I liked I liked the inner myself. So, I mean, when people think, well, we're just all single wall, it is. I like the inner myself when it's buggy and it's warm. And I like it to keep control of my dog because while she's a really good dog, if I don't zip her up in an inner, chances yeah. are she's going to be hunting all night long yeah. um, for rodents or whatever because she's trust me if you think you and i have passion for hunting <laughs> this girl she likes to hunt so i have had to, had to have two tent repairs in my life uh both of my uh previous generation mec tents both of which were from my dog claire who's still around she's 15 and a half uh bolting through the mesh to get at bears and uh so yeah she's uh yeah mm-hmm. still a hunter at heart for sure the uh okay well that's exciting so so i'll I'll take a look at that and, and uh the other thing i was thinking about these i'll also save a pound because one of the things i i always talk about when with um uh part of my kid is i bring a a sill tarp right because you know one of the most important things for you know is they're not not get wet so if you're halfway through your hunt and all of a sudden skies open up you want to if you could throw a tarp over top of you and have a little fire or just chill out and not try to carry on and push through bush and get soaked to the ass. I just set up a tarp, wait it out. So these tents are so simple that you can, instead of you know, putting up a tarp, you could just set the tent up and mm-hmm. tuck into it and wait it out as opposed to. You could, you could take like, for instance, with the Eolus, right? Um, you literally could have the inner connected to it full time. Cause it, it connects in naturally and it makes the setup take like six stakes and two minutes. You basically pop them and you stick the trekking pole in and you're good to go. Right. But if you just want the tarp for protection, you can disconnect it and just use the tarp or you can disconnect it from the top. Right. Yeah. Um, just disconnect it from where it connects by the poles, drop that inner. It's still a floor and just set the thing up real quick and hop in it and evade the storm. Yeah. Um, it does kind of dual duty in that way. And uh, a nuance of it, and I don't think people actually realize, is that the way ours are designed when they work like that is the canopy sets up over the inner naturally, natively. I know a lot of people are, like say with a hubba, you're supposed to set up the inner right with your mm-hmm. pole yeah. and then you put the canopy over it so when when it just unleashes on you unexpectedly there is yep. the opportunity to get the interior wet and stuff this if you do it right you learn it um well you can set the whole thing up at once the inner is never exposed to the elements okay okay that's that's interesting okay well, that's exciting that, that gets me kind of excited because that, that saves me a pound on the right off the bat on on the tarp plus whatever weight savings over the two between going stepping from the msr to the to the uh to the um seek outside now okay the other one that i was gonna ask you about like i'm i've been i've got i've invested in lightweight down over the years and i 
put a thousand bucks into a Western mountaineering bag or, or more. It's all super light, beautiful bag. Sweet bags. Yeah. Unbelievable. And great people too. Uh, but you know, they, I was conscious of say being in a tent that isn't a double wall tent or, or structured as a, with the, where, where there's condensation, uh, do, is this, you know, would you recommend, c- can you manage a down bag in say an Aeolus or, or one of these tents or, or. So, so let's go back to Western mountaineering and brands we admire. Yeah. that That's a brand I admire Yeah, that I think does it right. I think they are the standard basically in down bags. Yeah. Um, what I think they haven't done so well is, and we're a dealer for Western mountaineering. Yeah. Right. Simply because I personally think as a gear geek to get improvements above what they offer is such a high effort thing to actually make a better product. I'm not saying about making a cheap product and marketing yeah. it well. I'm talking about making a better product. And I have no interest in making a cheaper product that's well marketed. Yeah. I have interest in making a better product. That the effort required to make a better product than Western Mountaineering is pretty substantial yeah that you really that you would spend some cycles and it would probably end up costing a fair amount more than a western mountaineering even because i mean their zippers are fantastic their hoods their baffles all those things and i don't know which fabric you have but what a lot of people do not understand about western mountaineering is that for instance the micro light fab the microfiber fabric is actually more waterproof than most tents. Hmm. It's yeah. two thousand hydro mm. I'm going to bet, and this isn't this isn't like I've thrown shade at MSR. I've criticized REI. I've done whatever <laughs> on all this, and I've thrown shade at brands. Um, most brands are using tent flies that are in the twelve hundred to fifteen hundred range for their hydrostatic millimeter rating. Okay. Um, the U.S. military considers 1,500 waterproof, uh, but people push the limits because they're trying to get the weight down and mm-hmm. use lesser coatings all the time. Um, but the microfiber in a Badger or Kodiak is 2,000. Where water is going to get in, it's going to be from your body into yeah. it, or it's going to be through the seams. And if you're really paranoid, you literally could probably seam seal the seams a little bit. But I don't, I don't worry about it in my down bag. Now, if you were to spend, say, 10 contiguous days below freezing where it never gets above freezing and you don't have a stove because your body is going to release moisture into that down mm-hmm. and it's going to move through at some point until it reaches a condensation point. And there's a chance that in your Western Mountaineering bag you've seen what looks like frozen condensation on the outside that you yep. shake off a little bit. Yeah. Um, at some point when you get certain conditions, some of that's going to be trapped in the down. Um, and that's one of the reasons people have created this marketing plan for dry down and all this, yeah. which I, I think personally, Western mountaineering is on the right side of it because the problem with those DWR treatments is that they wash out what other people are doing. Um, the down in a Western mountaineering bag is going to be essentially the same down 30 years from now. Right. Um, but if you are like, if you have a stove in there, it's going to warm up 
and it's going to allow that moisture to flow through. You could do a trick like putting a jacket over part of it, which moves that condensation point or above your jacket and lets it out. Or if you're consistently in below freezing for like 10 days with no stove, no heat, no sunshine to dry out your bag, you could use like a vapor barrier of some sort. The chances are of people being continuously in that cold of temperatures without some sort of heat or sunshine because even like if you're in a hubba and it's below freezing and the sun comes out chances are the tent is not below freezing for long yeah you know yeah those things will move the moisture out and allow it to go out um or if you're inside your body is essentially the heater that is stirring it all up and making everything move um so for myself I don't even worry about it on a seven or 10 day trip. I am cognizant to turn my bag inside out and to let things air out if given the opportunity or the chance. I come back for lunch to my tent or something at some point and it's relatively sunny or windy. I might take my bag out and just hang yeah, it over the sure. line yeah. for a little bit. But part of it's because I'm nasty and smelly. And I mean, Sometimes I'm smelly just being at my home. Um, yeah. Imagine what I get like in the woods after a few days when I don't Six really care. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Okay, yeah, because I, I mean, that's like I've had a few three, four-day rains in sheep country. I'm just like hunkered down in my little tent and waiting for the rain to pass. And there's like little drips coming through. And like I'm like, oh, man, the condensation is like working its way down and staying off of me. But you know, it's uh, the other thing to do with your condensation is to grab a bandana or a handkerchief or something similar like that, and you can just wipe it down. Yeah, I've tried to pack it just a little. I have a sponge in my in my yeah. in my kit, my my eight man kit. And I just just a sponge. I just like wipe it all down and rinse it out. It actually works really well. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. 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 So I think I'm I'm almost there. I'm pretty convinced. I, I think I probably will jump into an alpine hunt with a with with the seek outside this season. I, cool, cool. Yeah, I was. I, I didn't want to let you go until I talked about packs with you for a few minutes, and that's uh, kind of how I found myself reaching out to you. Um, I've been on the hunt for uh, for. Well, I've been running a pack, and I won't throw their name under the bus because they've been so good to me on their warranty. Um, but I've replaced every part of the pack more than once now and uh, i'm sort of always worried that like so far it hasn't been a catastrophic failure in the middle of a hunt and and they're and they're there's they're, they're very like i love the design concepts of these packs like they're they like they they seem like they're a really great idea but then when put to function and load uh they start to show signs of wear and tear and, and falling apart so so uh, some companies have really good warranties um, the problem is that with some companies you have to use their really good warranty often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we have a really good warranty. Um, I hope we do things right enough that we, you don't have to use it a lot. And I just think from what I see on our tents that come in for repair, um, very seldom is there some sort of, uh, big failure um or issue um more often than not when we've had catastrophic issues it's been more like a bear thought they wanted yeah. in the tent. yeah 
anyways, let's 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 chat packs for a minute because I so I didn't even get to tell you about our what our trip plan is. So I'm gonna I'll give you the Coles notes of our trip plan, which is uh, we we invested in packrafts last year and uh, reached out to Al- Alpaca and Thor from the the um, Alpaca there, and and they were great, and we got um, got some guidance on where to get started in packrafting, did a bunch of training, and um, kind of got up to speed. They are on the other side of our same mountain range. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. It's a cool. In fact, I got an alpaca and I took it out on its maiden voyage, and I ran into a guy by the name of Ralph Tingy mm. on my first trip out. Okay, um, Thor's dad. Yeah, cool. Um, former wife of or former husband of Sherry. Yeah, um, yeah, and he told me the whole thing of starting it in the basement. It was it was so odd that the very first time out with your alpaca, just get kind of floating around, getting used to it. You run into like the guy who started building it in his basement. That's so awesome. That's a great story. Well, they're, they're such cool products. And, and, yeah. uh, and we flew the, we flew those into, um, one of the, uh, Northern Rocky mountain rivers, uh, in Northern BC and, and floated out about 150 kilometers of, of whitewater river that not a lot of people had done this expedition and hunted sheep for a while. So we're doing something pretty similar this year, uh, fly, flying rafts in, but we're going to hike up and over, we're going to fly into a lake we can get to, and then we're going to hike our rafts and gear up and over the continental divide. And then we're going to drift out the other, well, we'd hunt sheep eventually somewhere and then drift out the other side. So, so we're adding a little bit more of like really taking advantage of the packing part of the pack raft. Um, and uh, which means that, you know, we're, we're packing 10, 12 days of, uh, of food and gear plus our rafts between we're taking two rafts and four people so there was two things that i wanted to ditch this year i, di- I wanted to ditch my dry bags because we use dry bags as sort of a way of keeping well you know obviously you have a bit of gear that's got to be in the boat and uh and for simplifying things i wanted to just be able to have a a backpack that i can just put everything in and be dry and if i pump up my boat and cross the river cross the lake whatever um I don't necessarily have to put everything inside the boat to keep it dry. I didn't have it, a bit of versatility there, which was something I ran into. So I, I had, in my research, I, I'd heard that, that, you know, Seek Outside has some relatively waterproof pack, well, the, the pack, uh, pack designs that are, that would be suitable for this application. So that's why I was researching you and, and, and reached out to Dennis and, you know, kind who, of put on, you know, who you should talk to, um, you should talk to an ambassador of ours. Okay. His name is Ben Brochu. He's out of Alberta. Yep. He's done a lot of first descent pack rafts. He's huge into pack rafting. He's also a hunting guide in northern yep. Alberta. He lives about five hours north of Jasper, I believe. Yep. Um, but he did, like, he's done a couple things that he thought were first descents, pretty extreme in northern BC um, and stuff like I can hook you up and give you his contact. Well, funny, I, to be honest, that's kind of that's how the process I got here is that uh, I, I reached out to Dennis. Um, I think it's, Dennis is your one of your your, your marketing your, and brand marketing and brand guy, and uh, and he said, okay, I like what you're talking about. You should talk to this Ben Brochu guy who's done a bunch of this stuff because I was looking just trying to drill down on what the right pack was for us and and if, and and. Uh, and he suggested to get a hold of Ben. So I did talk to Ben and he kind of walked me through his 
process because he's done a, he's run a bunch of your guys's packs. So he, he you guys he, are so Canadian with your process. <laughs> For sure. Well, he he put he steered me towards uh kind of got me off of so so the pack I'm running now is the is uh it's it's like a pack that separates, right? It's got like I and, and I can swap the different packs. So I have a, a, a for my elk date my elk, elk hunting for day trips where I'm you know likely to end up having a pack and quarter out. I've got a day pack that expands to a elk pack and elk quarter. I can swap that pack out and put a 60 liter pack on or 70 liter pack for backpacking which i'm not confident in the frame or suspension for my actual sheep hunts if i was ever to kill something i'm sure that it would wouldn't survive but that's why i needed to get into a real pack or a more robust pack um and that's why i wanted to check out the seek stuff um but i wasn't sure about going with load shelf versus just going with a big old pack that i can stuff everything in and uh yeah, I, I just I, I've loved the load shelf because it worked for me. But I Ben suggested going with just an all-in-one pack that just rolls up. So we break it down terrible. into integrated and breakaway. So okay. what people call load shelf, we call breakaway because the pack bag separates the frame. Yeah, breakaway does introduce another layer of complexity, uh, but a lot of guys love the ability to take their big bag off and hunt with say a small day pack and they love that interchangeability it depends on how weight conscious you really are Um, what i would recommend for you is a 6000 series uniweep or 6000 series breakaway fortress for your main pack and i'll tell you i flipped in an arctic river on the north slope of alaska my pack took a few hundred ride yard ride downstream and mm-hmm. there was maybe a teaspoon of water in the pack and i didn't seem seal it or anything because i'm okay. one of those guys that likes to live on the edge and part part of it is i'm doing it for you guys because i'm trying to find out where our failures are so like i take a tent in the woods not seam sealed but i take seam sealer in case i need it you yeah. know um a lot of times um so I do a lot of that kind of stuff, and I have some seam sealer. Like, okay, if this pack let in too much water, my own bad. I know how to get through a night, and I'm going to build a fire or whatever. Yeah. But I usually live a little bit more on that edge than we ask the customers to live because I like to find those little areas of of flaws or at some level, a customer can contact me and be like, your stuff was garbage or whatever, and I'd be like, I know that isn't true, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe you had a bad experience, but I know that isn't true because mm-hmm. I've used that same exact setup or whatever, right? Um, but being that you're in Canada, British Columbia, it's cold. Being that pack rafting is gear intensive, I'd recommend something 6,000 size. Yeah. And then I would put a Merlin on the back because I love that day pack flexibility and that Merlin can be your bow bag as well, which fits in really good with the pack rafting. When you want to put up a few miles, um, get the Merlin in spectra in the spectra grid, because the spectra grid is essentially waterproof and it has waterproof zippers added to it as well. So if you get some splashes, I wouldn't say plan on no water getting into it, but plan on it's going to be not a lot of water. It's not going to be hugely problematic. Um, 
So that would be the way I'd go. And you can do that either in breakaway or or if you go the breakaway route, let's say you have a 6,000 series bag and a Merlin, you can put whatever side pockets on it you want. If you, you could go into our custom builder and build something off a of 6,000 as well. Um, you could put tall side pockets, little side pockets, one tall, one little. You could put a tube pocket for a spotter because we have this kind of custom shop, which isn't really full custom, but it's more like Mr. Potato Head or Lincoln Logs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of build <laughs> from these it. pieces, you know. Um, so I would say get something about that size. If you go the breakaway, the advantage that you're going to get is that you can run just like the Merlin Day Pack on a breakaway. And you can hook quarters, you could hook a sheep or whatever without the pack bag even on there. And you could treat the pack bag more as a dry bag and you could seam seal the whole thing. Brochu oh, okay. ru runs the integrated. The integrated isn't quite as waterproof as a breakaway water bag of the same, but you're probably not going to notice a difference unless you have something really catastrophic happen. So, so Brochu said the Brooks. He said, just, just go with the Brooks. It's a cool concept. And that's what he's kind of landed on after running a bunch of packs. Brochu does run a prototype of the Brooks with short bottle pockets. So yeah. you could run the Brooks um, and with the side pockets even. It, the Brooks itself becomes a beautiful day pack. It becomes a day pack in like no time of like 2,400. Yeah. And I'm actually astonished that the um, long range hunting crowd hasn't gotten into the Brooks because it carries a big rifle and optic setup beautifully for a day setup. Mm. Um, you know, right on the frame in the center, the side pockets go over your optics and everything. So they help protect it during the day. Um, but that would be that. And that would be a very solid option. And on a breakaway, the Brooks cousin is called the Saker. Um, since you work in the provincial parks, um, we, we name our integrated packs off of more aspirational, um, places. Um, and we name our hunting packs more based on birds of prey. <laughs> okay yeah you know like the peregrine it's a light and fast hunter yep yeah you know that's cool i like it i like it so try to reach out to both markets you know and find out yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay well now i'm all confused because i think we, we put together an order for for a couple of brooks and we're working that out with with dennis to try and hook something up for this season um but I'm oh man okay now I'm all now I'm all confused. The, the the Brooks would be fine. What I would recommend is that the Brooks is made out of the the that you went the custom shop and that you chose the Spectra Grid fabric. Okay. And the reason being for pack crafting, the you know like Brochu had an early prototype of the Brooks, which has just bottle pockets on it. Yeah. And if you want bottle pockets, it's really a it's really a six thousand series bag. The real Brooks has these two tube pockets that are about twenty four hundred, and it really was designed for like big adventures, big country, like the Brooks Range that it's named for, of course, right? Um, the downside is the side pockets give good access to day gear, 
but they're out of Cordura in our standard design. And Cordura has its limitations on the waterproofedness. Sure. Um, and the reason they're that is because X-Pack is kind of a stiff fabric and it just doesn't do that stuff real well, those kind of angles. Yeah. Um, but with the Spectra Grid HT, we have a fabric that does both of them well. It's technically waterproof, but it's not as crazy waterproof as X-Pack. But it's also pliable like Cordura. So it's kind of met, met that middle ground really well. Mm. Um, I like it. Well, I, I love the I love the design. When I looked at the video of the Brooks, just the design concept, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. It's simple. It's light. It goes from a huge pack down to a simple little pack. I, I really liked it. I thought that was a really cool, it is. cool design. It like, is. Um, let's just talk offline about fabrics um okay we'll, we'll come back to that i joke that i've joked on another podcast that we have this unicorn fabric available to us um and we do have this unicorn fabric that is going to become available to us in a color that may be desirable to go along um and that for your application would be an absolutely fantastic use of the unicorn fabric. Um, right. Got my attention for sure. All right, um, well, let's get through this podcast so we can talk offline about the unicorn fabric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I'm excited. Okay, so um, I've got two more questions for you that I like to ask everybody mm -hmm. while they've been on the podcast. The, the, the first one is, what's your dream hunt in your home state What's the hunt you want? You want that you're holding out most for to have an opportunity to do in this lifestyle in this lifetime in your home state. It's hard to say because both of them are pretty much a once in a lifetime tag. Um, for you guys, it wouldn't be a big deal, and it probably depends if I get an opportunity to do either one somewhere else first. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, it would be either moose or a Rocky Mountain bighorn. Um, I see Rocky Mountains all the time around here. I, I'm in sheep country all the time, right? Um, yeah. my, but unlike you guys, I don't have the opportunity. I have an opportunity for a lot of elk tags. Yeah. Um, and moose is really pretty much a once in a lifetime as well here. And so for my dream hunt here, it probably depends on, I put in for both of them. I put in for both of them a couple of days ago. Um, and it probably depends, like if I had an opportunity for a moose hunt somewhere else, um, then probably the Rocky mountain would go to the top of the list. Or if I had an opportunity for a Rocky mountain in BC, um, for whatever reason it worked out, then probably the moose would go to the top of the list. So, okay. For sure. So that makes it pretty easy. The second question is. If you're coming to British Columbia, what is your dream hunt? Not just the species, but how would you want to do it in British Columbia? You have stones, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stones, remote, exposed, 200 miles away from the nearest cell service. Oh, that's no problem. We got that covered. Yeah, I figured <laughs> you guys have that covered. I, li I like getting a long ways away, right? <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, stones, very remote, rugged country, probably involves a pack craft. Um, 
preferably I glass them from a steep mountain that meets a river and I see them on the other side of the river on a steep mountain as well. So you have to, of course, deploy the pack raft to get across the river and, uh, you know, be able to execute your stock and then be able to get back to camp, you know, with your stone sheep. Perfect. Well, we actually have a hunt coming up. You just come along. It sounds exactly what we have in mind. It's exactly what we're thinking about. This has been a lot of fun, Kevin, having you on. And I, I'm kind of glad I caught you, at, you know, after a long day and having a beer and and uh, you're in the move to chat. And this has been fun for me. I hope I hope the listeners enjoy it too. I'm sure they will. They'll learn a little bit about the process of uh, building a business and being being in the gear world. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll have to keep doing doing some fun stuff together. It's I've about the a, process and the adventure. Well, that's that's pretty much captured. <laughs> all my friends make fun of me all the time. They're like, Tone's got a process. Tone's and, got a process. And, and if you want to tie this all back to the gear world, okay, if yeah. you wanna if we want me to put on like my CEO president <laughs> hat and yeah. all this stuff, right? Yeah. That Angie, who just poked her head in the room, she has a yeah. book by Bill Walsh, the 49ers football coach. Oh yeah. The the score takes care of itself. Right. As oh, long yes. as you follow, if, as long as you follow the process, you get the you manage the attributes of what you're trying to seek. And I fully believe in that. Like, like I do not worry too much about seek outsides, business, bottom line, all these things. I worry that we keep designing compelling products and that we support our customers in the correct way and that we act respectful and very honest with them in our communications. And I believe that if we do those things and we help mentor them in their desire for adventure and stuff outside, that the score will take care of itself for SO. Absolutely. Well, I think you've done that and all, all the experience I've had with your team so far has been nothing but awesome. Um, through the process, whether it's been uh, sending something in for 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 uh, a, a zipper repair and uh, or talking to Dennis about hooking up with you guys to to do some work together, I mean everybody's been awesome. So thanks so much for what you do, and, and thanks for coming on the Paul podcast. And we've got some fun stuff coming up. We're going to be doing some. Uh, uh, Chris and I are going to team up and do a. a I've been doing these like hunting webinars that have been sort of interesting mm-hmm. how, how successful they've been that people just doing deep dives into how to hunt stuff like whether it's how to e-scout or how to what the next one we're going to do is how to prepare for a backpack hunt so Chris and I are going to team up for that so maybe we'll check back in with you on that and see if you want to jump online for a bit and say hello to our to, to the crew of folks and talk about what you do and awesome but, love to yeah yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we'll shut this down and we'll have a quick chat and uh, talk about sheep hunting, exciting ideas and stuff like that after this. So thanks again, Kevin. Sounds great.